Welcome to A Geek History of Time, where we connect nerdery to the real world. I'm Damien Harmony. I'm a 40-year-old father of two uh, whom I'm trying to raise to be as geeky and decent as possible. I am also a Latin teacher, uh, formerly a history teacher. I have a master's degree in women's history uh, and a bachelor's degree in history. And of late, I have uh, stopped studying so much history and been much more into the use and abuse of the English and Latin languages. I am Ed Blaylock. I'm a 43-year-old father of one very little one, uh, and I'm a 7th grade world history teacher. And my academic background is uh, I have a Bachelor of Arts uh, in history focusing primarily on Western Europe and East Asia uh, and really heavily focused on the medieval period in both of those places. Um, and I've been a nerd since I was, well, since forever. Uh, I've been a gamer since the age of nine, thanks to uh, first edition Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. I uh, got into gaming and geekery uh, very early on as well, but the, the best I can remember was playing Dungeons and Dragons with my dad and being killed off by a bunch of lizard people when I was about eight. We also had a car ride where I got to take a test to figure out my alignment. My mother told me I was chaotic evil, and it broke my heart. Okay, well, that's news. <laughs> You've changed. I have. Well, uh, yeah. I think uh, since then. And uh, <laughs> and I forgot what the next thing we were supposed to do here was. That's okay. This part we can scrub out. Okay. Um, Let's see. Oh, books we've been reading. Oh, yeah. Ed, what have you been reading lately? I have uh, mostly been working on still getting through um, At Home by Bill Bryson, mm. uh, a history of domesticity as we know it in the modern world. How about you? Um, I have been reading the Saga uh, series. It's, uh, it's a graphic novel. Oh, yeah. um, called Saga, and it's uh, it's really quite interesting. My buddy Zach got me into it. Uh, I've also been vacillating between that and uh, old timey. Um, I'm I'm into April of 1963 Marvel comics, so Fantastic Four and the Amazing Spider-Man. Nice. Mm. Okay, very cool. Uh, so right now um, we're both involved in a D&D campaign. Uh, you're more involved in it than I am at present because you know you have a seven kid. month old. Yeah. yeah. Um, but in addition to that right now, uh, my biggest thing, uh, gaming wise is, uh, another D and D campaign that's only monthly, uh, in which I'm playing a chaotic, good elven cavalier and it's first edition AD and D. So I'm going back to my geek roots. Uh, other than our D and D campaign, what do you got going on right now? Uh, I'm actually just, uh, running a game for my son and my daughter. Okay. Uh, we are currently doing a... Uh, homebrew uh, mock-up of a 3.5 retread of an AD&D module. Okay, give me uh, the title. So, uh, what is it? It's Lair of the Were-Rat King or something to that effect. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's where they're in okay. Silverton. And, yeah, 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 yeah. And, nice. Uh, oh, it's, it's fun. Uh, they just got down to the third level. Um, Very cool. They themselves are at least fourth level, mm -hmm. and they're just plowing through goblins, were-rats, and whatnot. My daughter figured out that if she melted down silver coins and dipped her arrows into them, that they would actually hurt were-creatures. So I let her have your, some license. Your, your daughter is 
somebody to watch because <laughs> one way or the other because because she's yeah. how old i, w- I want to get I, I want everybody to understand this your daughter is six, six. and she yeah. figured that out yeah you're raising her right yeah fist fist bump thank Nobody, you, thank you, you y'all can't see that but and you know. my son runs into every battle growling like a bear because he's a barbarian aspect of the bear so he's he's really living it up and uh yep they're you they're make, doing a great job of it you uh, make us all so. proud you make us all proud <laughs> So, uh, what are we doing today? What's uh, what's today's episode about? Well, um, I believe you had uh, something you wanted to talk to me about with, um, it, it, it had to do with Star Trek. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yes. Um, so, Star Trek Enterprise, uh, actually just called Enterprise, uh, came out in 20, or in 2001. Um, and yes. it was the final one to be put into syndication uh, after a string of successes. Um, until just recently. And so I wanted to explore uh, where that occurred in our cultural context because it turns out it came out on TV literally two weeks after 9-11 happened. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to really... uh, The the influence of 9-11 on fiction and literature and and, uh, also on TV and movies has long been fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, these these watershed moments. Yeah. Um, uh, I believe they're called flashbulb history. Yes. Um, those have long been of interest to me. So um, we're going to take a look at some geekery uh, having to do with 9-11. So I right. hope you all stay tuned, and uh, we will see you on the other side. And here we are. Ed, you said you are Star Trek adjacent, right? Yeah. I, I grew up watching the original series in syndication. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when uh, The Next Generation came out, I was a fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Star Trek, um, to me, was cool. It was entertaining. Uh, but I have a lot of friends who are really, really like passionately driven by you know, Roddenberry's utopianism. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Maybe it's just my upbringing. I don't know what. Um, my dad in the background making remarks about a real navy would never work that way. You know, I don't. I don't know. I don't know what it is that stopped me from from becoming a a true believer. Yeah. For Trek, um, I think I have an idea actually because okay. a lot of because a lot of what attracts me to Star Wars is, um, I guess how do, how do I want to say. Um, it, it's it's what repels me about Star Wars too. In Star Wars, it's a mythology. Yeah. In Star Wars, there's a chosen one. There is a, a religious hierarchy. Um, there sure. there are all kinds of things in there. Um, Star Trek is like if somebody took notes on John Lennon's song Imagine. Like it's it's yeah. boring. It's dull. And the other thing is Star Wars. There's drama. There's tension. But there's action. Whereas Star Trek. There's there's a little bit of drama, there's a little bit of tension, but there's no action. Like all of their solves are always very cerebral, and that's kind okay. of the message. Yeah. And I think that's one reason that there's such a sharp divide. I happen to enjoy both quite a bit, mm-hmm. uh, but I do con more to Star Wars than I do to Star Trek because yeah. I think that kind of action is a little bit more emotionally appealing to people. Um, okay. I'm going to talk that to you today. Sense. Yeah, I'm going to talk to you today about uh, Star Trek Enterprise. Okay. Uh, now, now, before we get started, mm-hmm. the moment you mentioned Star Trek Enterprise, right, or just Enterprise, sure, because it didn't have the Star Trek imprint in, right. in the title. Um, <clears throat> I I had a friend who mm-hmm. I've lost touch with a long time ago, but but a buddy of mine um, back at the time that Enterprise came out, one of the first conversations I had with him because mm-hmm. he was he was one of these people who was a truly devoted, passionate trekker. Mm-hmm. 
you know, had had read the technical manuals, had memorized, you know, the, knows where the, the one bathroom on the Enterprise yeah, is. yeah, you know that that kind of stuff. And um, he was really not happy with Enterprise because it violated canon at the time because the mm. the uh, what's the word I'm looking for the 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 history of mm-hmm. ships named Enterprise right had been established there was a canon right. already established and all of a sudden they introduced this new this new enterprise right. into the mix that was before the, the, first, NC the, the before the MC 1701 yeah. that was after you know the carrier and all, all that mm-hmm. you know the, the the historical enterprise and they introduced this this new ship and this new storyline and all this stuff and he was he he had a reaction like a theological scholar dealing with a heresy so similar so, to so there's a lot star, of star wars fans after episode eight then yes actually yeah, yeah. yeah. and in a lot in a lot of ways you yeah. ruin yeah oh my god how dare well, you require he didn't, growth he didn't he didn't say you ruined my childhood and his issue his issue didn't have quite so much to do with geek entitlement okay as the guys that were bitching and moaning about episode eight mm-hmm. or a lot of i'm gonna say a lot of the people who were bitching about episode eight. guys almost almost <laughs> universally yes but you know um and it was it was this this very important technical thing to him and mm-hmm. and i think one this i'm going to say that this is one of the reasons that i have remained fandom adjacent okay. to to trek and this is also part of the reason that i i haven't gotten into hardcore star wars fandom Mm. At the same time, I'm 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 I lean more in that direction, but I'm not not a, a canon monkey. I'm yeah, and, and, you know I mean, which is funny because I'm a Catholic, so you'd think canon would be a thing for well, you've me. You've got enough dogma as it is. As as yes, in, yeah, you in picked my, one in my, in my yeah real life. <laughs> I've got enough, uh, but you know the 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 number of my friends mm-hmm. and guys, if you're listening to this because I badgered you to listen to it, understand I love you all. Uh, but the the level of commitment to that level of canonicity and detail and everything felt stifling to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I want to I want to establish with you. Okay. I don't I don't think off the top of my head that that's that's going to be part of what we're talking about here. Not particularly because there, gonna... there was a lot of controversy about that at the right. time. No, it, I'm not I'm not really getting into that. Okay. Um, what what I'm going to be talking about with Enterprise is largely the impact that. Um, flashbulb moments have okay. on our fictions whether okay. we like them or not mm-hmm. um i could do an entire i don't know five-part episode on how 9-11 uh had an impact on the extended universe in star wars books because it, yeah. it was measurable it was obvious um and maybe we will who knows uh but uh this one is uh what i've titled how 9-11 ruined star trek's coolest concept Okay. Um, and I do think that it was their coolest concept. It was their poorest carried out. Poorliest? Poorestly? Worst. Yeah. Worst. Most poorly. Worst. Yeah. The Latin in me knows how to yeah, do it. But, um, but uh, yeah, it was very poorly carried out. But it's not entirely the fault of the studio or the writers or the co-creators or what have you. They get some of the blame. Um, but I think culturally um, it was just one of those ones where... It, the moment was such that what? the moment passed and yeah. things had shifted and this was they were already committed to this yeah and so they they wrote it the wrong way um 
Actually, this is, I think, one of two 9-11 episodes I've got, so it clearly okay. figures in heavy yeah. for me. Uh, but, uh, first of all, Enterprise was the fifth iteration of Star Trek, um, okay. if you don't count the animated series. And you shouldn't. Uh, it starts with the original See, series. Wait, no, man. No, dude. You, get, you have to. I'm, I'm going to say this This was the sixth, because you've okay. got to count the end. Because, okay. you know, if we're going to start pulling that, uh-huh. then, you know... Okay, uh, this is the fifth live action. Okay, there we go. There, there you we go. go. Uh, and uh, the first one was the original series, commonly referred to as TOS. Yeah. Uh, then the Next Generation, TNG. Yep. Mm-hmm. Then Deep Space Nine, yep. DS9. Yeah. Or as we said in my Spanish class when I was in high school, De Ese Nueve. Nice. Uh, then Voyager, which was just Voyager. Uh, and then Enterprise. Yeah. Uh, now, between uh, the original series and the Next Generation was 20 years. Yes. Um, and there was syndication, there were movies. Yeah. Uh, then, uh, between The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine, there was an overlap of, I think, two seasons. Yeah, I want to say it was two seasons. You introduced the characters by using the other characters. Yeah, uh, it was know. It was what what's referred to as a, uh, a soft pilot. Yeah. I, I want to say it's, it's referred to, I think the term is a soft pilot. I'll have to look up the trope on TV tropes. But yeah. it's... it's uh, you know, you know that you're going to do a spinoff, right? So you introduce the characters on the original show, right? So that then, we see and it, then, and then so we see them and get a little familiar with them, and we understand what their yeah. what their whole angle is before you go off and do that. They've, it's it's you know a tool that gets used all the time. Well, and they uh, used it again with Deep Space Nine to Voyager as well. Yes. You you meet uh, one of the the main characters on Voyager on Deep Space Nine, yeah. uh, and so you had a lot of that. Enterprise, uh, interestingly. Um, exists in the same universe, but it predates all of them, so there was no way to overlap. Yeah, it was a it was a major big time prequel. Yeah, it's a, so it's a structural difference. Um, now, even though it overlaps with Voyager and calendar years, uh, and actually it 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 doesn't technically. They both Voyager ended in May of two thousand one, and Enterprise started in September of two thousand one. Yeah. So technically, you you didn't have any overlap in scheduling, yeah. uh, and you certainly don't have any overlap in terms of uh, in universe chronology, yeah. nor in production. Uh, Voyager, like I said, uh, last episode was May of two thousand one, and yeah. uh, Enterprise starts in late uh, September. Uh, now, clearly, the first episode was released in uh, was released in September twenty sixth. Mm-hmm. 2001 so that's 15 days later um and so they and they'd already had several episodes in the can prior to 9-11 yeah. i was unable to figure out how many were already in there so enterprise it's the first one of the series that goes back in time well all the episodes go back in time but it's the first one where the actual setting is before the times prior of the to, others yeah uh it comes on the heels of voyager mm-hmm. which was dwindling in popularity so what had happened was... For reasons. Very good reasons, um, yeah. but reasons nonetheless. What happened was um, the next generation, everybody remembers it much fonder than... I, I challenge you to go watch the first three seasons. Okay, it's I'm, I'm going I'm gonna, to I'm, I'm pick a bone with you sure. on that one. I'm going to say the challenge should be to watch one first season. First season was uneven mm-hmm. at, at best. The first, the first few episodes... Um, the thing is, all of the writers. My my take on it is, all of the writers were swinging for the fences, mm-hmm. like go like out the gate. Everybody because it had been twenty years since since Star Trek yeah. had been on the on the small screen, and so all the people that were writing were like, "No man, we got to have the next sitting on the edge of forever. We got to you know." There's this right. huge legacy that they got to live up to, and so the writers are swinging hard, 
And the thing is, when you're swinging that hard, when you connect, you're going to knock the cover off the ball. Mm-hmm. When you fail to connect, it's a really big, dramatic, ugly fail. Yeah. You're and Reggie so, Jackson. Yeah. You, you lead yeah. the league in strikeouts, but you, but also, you also lead the league in yeah. home and, runs. And, and so the first season is because they hadn't gotten their timing down in, mm-hmm. in both in the analogy and literally like mm-hmm. the pacing of the scripts is weird and the, the timing of the dialogue is strange, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it's, it's not, it hasn't gelled yet. Yeah. Second season, you have that problem too, because you have some casting changes. You do. And third season, you have more casting changes. So you, you have stuttering and stepping. You, through. you have stuttering and stepping, but what I'm, what I'm going to argue mm-hmm. and, and my own, my own take on it was the first season was basically, it, the show survived into season two because everybody gave it a chance. Yeah. Okay. Very true. Second season, in the second season, you actually start seeing the episodes that started to actually look like what TNG was going to be. You do, but you, you, you also still have seeing, a lot you know, of production troubles. I mean, the very last episode of season two was a flashback episode because they literally ran out of money. Oh, yeah. No. So, I mean... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know... And, it's and, and, and in terms of popularity... It's a lot like the original series. Yeah. In that everybody remembers it fonder than it is. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily hold up. There are some that really do. You're absolutely yeah. right. The aesthetic is quite quite clearly moving in a, in the right direction, but it's not that popular uh, at at all. But then it yeah. grew. It yeah. grew. Uh, season three, they started gelling. You still have really awful episodes even into season five, though. You really do. Oh, yeah. Just you a few. Some, you got, they're, you got, they're, you got a couple of stinkers. Low points. Like, like yeah. every, every season, there's one. One or two. Like, oh, God, why did you, why right. did you film this? Right. This, this, was, this is a crime against celluloid. You know, but would, back then, they had to keep uh, 24 episodes. Yeah. You know, every season. They had so, to, I mean, yeah. they're really working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, once, this is a sad part. Once Roddenberry died, it got better. Well, you know, and here's the thing. Mm-hmm. It, it, that is that is sad. And, you know, Roddenberry deserves an awful lot of credit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, and, and again, um, I know there are friends of mine that when and if they hear this, they're, they're going to want to pick a fight with me. But Roddenberry was genuinely a really good human being. I mean, by, by, every, by every, you know, kind, kind of measure as far as what, what he tried to do with he was a humanist. His, his legacy. Yeah. He was very much a humanist. Uh, and... By all accounts, he was he was a nice guy. Everybody, you know, I I, I haven't heard any he was a you know, negative stories. Yeah, well, that existed. You know, yeah, but but uh, yeah, overall, he, overall, he was more, writing more, morality more plays. good than bad. Yeah, yeah, he was writing these morality plays, and and the thing is, that's that's wonderful. But at the same time, from a storytelling perspective, he had a lot of really strict rules. I yes, mean, the, the the story bible under Roddenberry Incredibly was really strict. Yeah. Uh, and like one of the things that was revolutionary about DS9 yep. was all of a sudden you saw the Federation disagreeing with other people within the Federation. There yes. were there were Internecine protagonists. Fighting. There were protagonists yep. disagreeing. And it was a huge big deal to Roddenberry as a utopianist, mm-hmm. as this, you know, idealistic humanist that, mm-hmm. you know, we were going to get to a point somewhere in our collective social evolution where we didn't do that right. and i and and on the one hand there's there's something wonderful and pure in that in that kind of vision of yeah. of, of humanity moving it towards doesn't this make conflict for compelling free. entertainment it doesn't make for compelling entertainment and i think it's fundamentally unrealistic mm-hmm. uh you know evolutionary biologists 
uh, have argued, I've, I've read the papers, but I, I can't reference any of them directly, mm-hmm. that um, <coughs> in addition to uh, opposable thumbs giving us the ability to use tools, mm-hmm. uh, part of our evolution is also the fact that unlike all of the other apes, we're able to make a fist. Mm-hmm. Well, they can hammer fist you. Well, they, but, they yeah. can, but, but being able to make a right. closed fist is not something that other apes are capable of doing. And there are evolutionary biologists who will argue, mm. convincingly, to me at least, sure. that that is as much a part of our humanity mm-hmm. as as far as being separate from the other higher sure, primates sure. as as some of the other stuff. So I think the idea that we're going to get to a point where we don't argue with each other, I mean, collectively the idea that we get to a place where nation states or groups of people are able to cooperate mm-hmm. is utopian and, and an ideal we can all shoot for. I don't think we're ever going to get to a place where you and me right. are never going to have a point of contention. Right. I mean, you know... And and he he wanted so much to be so utopian mm-hmm. that well, he was one of the biggest was... one of the biggest complaints that I've heard about him mm-hmm. was from the writers that were working for him was like there was so much stuff that we couldn't do yeah and so when he was no longer sitting on top of the structure with that set of rules yep it opened up the playground. Mm-hmm. In a way that, it opened that up hadn't drama. existed. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it allowed for more. Like you say, mm-hmm. you know, you were talking about there not being action, there not being a lot of drama. It, right. it opened up the potential for there being more human drama. Well, the thing with the next generation as well, though, is that it, it even after he died, they they were kind of already married to the structure mm-hmm. of the old version as well. In that it's a it's a story about exploration. Um, so every episode can be incredibly modular, and there's not much in the way of character growth or character yeah. development because there's no drama. There's no overarching plot, really. I mean, you have plot light by the time you get to the end of episode or to the end of season seven. There's a few things that have yeah. happened, but it's it's all fairly blandly gotten to. And it, it, some of the best episodes of TV have come from the Next Generation, but uh, it it still was. Uh, it was still a, a shallow, shallow. Yeah, well, yeah, and in, in a in a in a a very uh, capsular, uh, one hour drama kind of mm-hmm. art form. It was oh. it was not it was not serialized really in any meaningful right. way. You had the characters you know. going on and on, but it's 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 the continuing adventures of you know. Yeah. Now, partway through, they decided to introduce a new series. Uh, by this point, it it was unheard of, you know, because again, the original series only got three seasons. This one ends up with seven, and I think by season five. Uh, maybe six, uh, you you have a new ser- series come out of this. Now, it is a huge ripoff of Babylon 5. That is established fact. Um, but it was still a really cool series. I think Deep Space Nine was probably the best of them all. Be- partly because... Of all the Trek series. Of all the Treks, yeah. Okay. Um, because... Because if you try to argue it was better than Babylon 5, no. you're going to have a very un-Roddenberry uh, <laughs> argument on no. your hands. But, uh, I'm, a, I'm a big Bab 5 fan. Huge Bab 5. But, but anyway, that's Deep Space Nine... Uh, the, the conceit <clears throat> of Deep Space Nine was that in all of Star Trek, you always have a, a ship traveling. This was a station. So it didn't move... Which mm-hmm. means things had to come to it, which means inherently, structurally, you have a difference. And yeah. that means you have to have an overarching plot to affect these people who are fairly stationary because they're yeah. on a station. Uh, it was the first non-Roddenberry series start. 
Uh, they didn't go from morality play to morality play. They All the characters developed through their conflict, and they developed together. Mm-hmm. Uh, the plot kept coming to them. And so it's a huge step away from what had previously been, been done. Now, once TNG ended... DS9 was the only thing. It was it was the standard. It was bearer. Star Trek. Um, and <clears throat> since it was so successful at riding the crests of DS9's or of, D, of <clears throat> TNG's po- popularity, they went ahead and made Voyager. And they're like, okay, well, here we've got the station. Let's have ship take off from it, and uh, it, you've got the same overlap. Uh, but since Deep Space Nine had the whole war going. That really restricts what Voyager can do. The only way to get around that is to just throw them to another quadrant and have them working the way back. Trying to get home. And that's exactly, and which yeah. is a different thing still. And it's, and, it's really and cool. By the way, the mm-hmm. Odyssey. Yeah. Just saying, talking mm-hmm. about what source you're ripping off. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know. Uh, so it's a, it's a story about trying to come home. It's a story about isolation, severe isolation. Also more exploration because as you're working your way back, mm-hmm. um, there were cool plots. Um, but there was also a noticeable shift. Um, the way I've described it was if the next generation was bold colors, Voyager was pastels. Okay. It's, I've, I've heard it mockingly referred to as, oh, the next generation with half the charisma. <laughs> <laughs> Which yeah. ain't wrong. Uh, and some of it's because it just yeah. by this point we're a little saturated. As a market, and but they did they do things to spice up the plot, and they they examined what makes a human a human, and what makes mm. a being a being in ways that no other show Correct. heretofore had yeah, done. Yeah. Done. Um, now they they shifted characters around, but they largely struggled. I remember Belana Torres; she's the half Klingon. Yeah. Um, I one th- of the one of one of the if not the mm-hmm. legacy character dating mm-hmm. all the way back to TNG. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I remember correctly, no, Torres wasn't in, no. in TNG. Sorry, no. I'm thinking of another yeah. Klingon from yeah. TNG. Uh, uh, but, but she, but she yeah. was she, she, she was, was she was a legacy character from DS9. No, no, wasn't no. It? Uh, you're thinking of Harry. Oh, okay, Ensign Harry. And, uh, yeah, but uh, poor guy. <laughs> but uh, uh, she was in the beginning a sex object in, in yes. the show. She was going to be the, the love interest. You yes. Know? And there were scenes shot very early on that obviously put her in that kind of thing. And I don't, I don't know if it was because she's a woman of color. I don't know if it's because she's a Klingon. I don't know if it's because her character was just too angry to get behind, and men didn't like that. But eventually, they came up with Seven of Nine wearing all the skin tight jumpsuits that she could as a friend of mine named her six of nine yeah there you go uh and so she ended up taking kind of that role so you see Mm -hmm. them kind of shifting and adjusting which to their credit they were trying to shift and adjust on the Mm -hmm. other hand you know the next generation i don't remember them shifting and adjusting all that much um no and uh, deep space nine they were really good at revving you up and then giving you a silly episode and then revving you back up. Mm-hmm. But Voyager seems a little bit more uh, a slave to the grind as far as what the what the yeah. fans want. And again, it could be because they're responding to the fact that people are just getting a waning interest. There's other things that are out there by that point. It's the late 90s. And the plots, uh, the, the plots are a bit dodgy. Um, and... and yeah, I mean, it, it just kind of becomes a little bit bland, and so yeah. they, they bring in other other characters from other series to yeah. kind of you know spike your interest. Now, Enterprise is the next one. Uh, at this point, um, it's con- it's it's expected to continue as the franchise, uh, but by this time, the franchise itself is struggling. 
so the coattails are not as sturdy, and the plots are even weaker. Uh, the first major plot line was this thing called the Temporal Cold War. And it was the idea that people have been temporally messing with the Earth for a long time, essentially turning the Earth into Berlin, while two mysterious and more powerful factions were facing off over it. Uh, but it is, it's hard to get people interested in a, a shadowy thing that doesn't directly impact most of the plot. And it just becomes kind of a Mary Sue of like, oh, it was a temporal thing. Oh, got it. Okay. Um, the neat thing, though, is that there's no prime directive. Yeah, uh, for a little while, like for, we see yeah. it develop. <clears throat> well, um, and, and we and we see we see the uh, interactions and uh, blunders. Yes, that that lead to uh-huh. the prime directive. There's no uh, cohesive plan for exploration. Yeah, there's, there's just there's no just go yeah. do what you're gonna do, figure mm-hmm. it out. And um, one one of the more powerful episodes that I that I remember mm-hmm. from from Enterprise. Um, which I, I didn't follow closely, uh, but one one of the episodes that, that affected me a very great deal I remember was um, the uh, security officer winds up um, developing an attachment to feelings for an alien who is a third gender. Oh yeah, yeah, of of an alien race that has that has three three sexes. Mm-hmm. There's you know what we would consider male, what what we would consider female, and then there is a catalyst, right? Sex that is not a, a neuter, that is not, a not a neuter, omni. but it's yeah. yeah, and and it's necessary for reproduction. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're a minority that 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 sex is a minority of the population, and so they are they're like. Uh, uh, hand, handmaids, uh, hand, handmaids. Yeah. They're they're treated like handmaids, and he, the the security officer whose name I'm forgetting right now. I don't remember was, any of the names. Even though it was one of my favorite characters, sure. but he 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 became very attached to this was, this individual. He felt very strongly for this individual, and uh, he encouraged them to uh, to to try to you know stand up and change their circumstances and and you right. know. You're a sentient being. You don't you don't deserve to be treated like that. And then the authorities on both sides, the Federation and the alien race that they were that they were dealing with, uh, basically said, "Yeah, no, we we that's not not going to happen." Uh, right. You know, he he got he got basically told, "You're meddling and stuff. You don't understand. This right. isn't this isn't our place to be telling them how to do this. You know, moral relativism, all this stuff." Right. And on the other side, it was, "No, no, this is your role in society. You're going to do it. Period." Mm-hmm. You know, look at the couple that you've been attached to, and the fact that they've been waiting for this all their lives, and now you're going to selfishly tell them, "No, you don't want to do that." Right? You know, and it wound up leading to them, the 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 third gender uh, non-human, committing suicide. Right. And and that was that was the tagline. That was that was like at at the end of the episode, he finds out, yeah, well, you know, they. Mm-hmm. I, I think they, they they continually referred to the character as a she, if I remember right. right in the, in, well, because he was a male and he was interested in her. Yeah, so you know, Malcolm but, Reed, by the way, was yes, his character. Reed, uh, my favorite character, by mm-hmm. the way, out of the whole series. But you know, the series unfortunately was so short lived and, and left a relatively small impression on my mind. I can't mm-hmm. remember his name. Um, Scott Bakula, of course. I remember Captain Archer because right. Scott Bakula. But and you yeah. always remember the captain, yeah, uh, because he's really the only character. Sorry. Uh, but you know, and, and the tagline for that episode was, you know, the, 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 the knowledge that this individual had been crushed and committed suicide because mm-hmm. of this intervention. And it was, Oh, 
oh, this is why we have a prime directive, even though it sucks. Right. Exactly. So uh, they get roasted for weak writing, although they have some really good episodes. They, yeah. They do. Now, here's the problem. Uh, 9-11 yeah. happened. Uh, and it had seriously jarred American pop culture. I mean, we went from... I don't know if you remember what the big story was in the summer before 9-11. It was the summer of the shark because three people worldwide had been attacked by sharks and one person had been killed. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Good times, yeah. man. And then it turned when into... When the world was innocent. Yeah. And then it turned to terrorists are everywhere. And certainly, uh, as a culture, we shifted as a result. We were previously certain of our place in the world. Mostly, uh, and and then it went to total fear. I mean, I don't know if you remember uh, what it was like for you, but I remember like people were afraid to drive on the freeway. Halloween was damn near banned. Um, it was it was it was a time of like we we'd gotten our noses bloodied and we hadn't been in a fist fight in a long long time. Yeah, which is weird because overseas we'd had plenty of interactions with with Al Qaeda, um, and yeah. and I'll probably get into that in a, in a different episode, but. Uh, we'd also just been through an election that was yeah. unlike any other in popular memory uh, because yeah. and it was frankly problematic for democracy and mm-hmm. we can look back now and go yeah yeah, yeah it was yeah. Yeah. Um, it was a serious one-two punch we went through a hotly contested election that's fine having elections are, are fine but having the results be so doubtful and having there be so much having there be so much anger suspicion simmering, simmering anger and suspicion and resentment mm-hmm. uh, on both sides really even even on even on the From winning side because yeah. this is back when I was still identifying as a Republican mm. um, you know even even on that side there there was some reflexive anger. Well, kind, of, kind of floating around. Republicans because, had just been through nine years or eight years of Clinton. Well, well, I mean, there, there was there was that, but I know my my own my own feeling. I was you know working as a school teacher for the first time, and um, you know the amount of anger I was hearing from my Democratic colleagues in the lunchroom, mm-hmm. you know, was was something that made me angry. <laughs> like, okay, look, you know, I understand. You know, but this has been settled now, and you know, can we can we stop harping on it? Right. You know, and and I look back on my attitude now, and I'm like, well, maybe we should have kept harping. Maybe, maybe, well, maybe we should have kept harping on it, and maybe there was a more constructive way to say it rather than can we not harp on it? Yeah. You know. Um, well, even I'm, I, I you know, think you I'm going to call out the Republicans a little bit here yeah. too, because um, one thing we like to do is retread 18 years ago elections. Um, but, uh, the, uh, the Republican party during its primary had done something way dirtier than it had ever done before. Well, during a primary than it had ever done before, uh, in recent memory, at least Mm -hmm. in that you had Karl Rove running George Bush's campaign and you had John McCain who had rehabilitated his image and was doing fine until Karl Mm -hmm. Rove was like, look, we either go dirty or we go home. And Bush, Bush looked the other way. Yeah, and, now, and Carl, so here's the deal: Karl Rove. Yeah, if there is a revolution, as an Eisenhower Republican, I want Karl Rove up against the wall with a bunch of other people right out the gate. Yeah, you made it um, bad. Yeah, but so it's a one-two punch. Yeah, and so our ability to consume something 
in entertainment that's similar but different from what we were used to mm-hmm. was diminished. Our our willingness to give it a chance was severely blunted. Okay. Um, and season two is very similar to season one, honestly. Um, now watching them now, they're not really that bad, and that's kind of my point. Is actually it's, it's it's not bad TV, but if you watch them out of context with the rest of the Star Trek series, that's why they're not that bad. If you watch them in context, then then it's problematic. On its own, it's fine, but in the context of the 14 years of Star Trek that had been on TV by that point continuously, it was glaringly troublesome. Uh, it just wasn't very creative. It was not very groundbreaking, like a lot of the things that had already been done. Um, and I can't emphasize this enough. 9-11 made us not want to explore anymore as a culture we hunkered down so show about exploration doesn't work in fact if you look at the shows that come out after that it's about having a secret heroes it's about being stranded somewhere lost Lost. it's it's about torturing the shit out of people 24 or the shield or or it's the it's the age of the anti-hero you know but the the times where you do have heroes or it's about being constantly under siege and having to make moral Morally debatable choices, Battlestar mm-hmm. Galactica. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I like that being, constantly being under on, siege. Being on the run, under siege. Fighting for your very survival. Yeah. That's that's a through line from BSG to Lost to, to Heroes to... Yeah. Yeah, no, that that's that's a connector I, mm-hmm. I had not consciously spotted. And before. none of us consciously were making it. Yeah. It was just that affects our consumerism. So... The outside world is very perilous all of a sudden. And it was very, it felt very all of a sudden, despite the fact that the coal had happened, despite the fact that Kenya and Tanzania had happened in the three years prior, it was perilous now. Well, the the coal and Kenya and Tanzania were were not on American soil. Exactly. And they were not, I'm going to say this, they were not the same scale of, of issue. Um, you know, I mean, there there had been. I mean, historically speaking, there's there's a threshold that you have to meet to get yeah. somebody to declare war, to get somebody to truly panic. Right. And you know, um, there this had was been visible. there had been diplomatic incidents like prior to World War One. There had been all mm-hmm. kinds of diplomatic incidents. There had been you know backing and forthing with Japan before oh, yeah. December seventh, but it was the scale of the destruction. Yeah. On December seventh, and and the, the smoking wreckage, the smoking wreckage that that day. was, you know, that, that was what made that so psychologically mm-hmm. uh, imprinting yeah. on on the silent generation. Um, You're you know, absolutely that, that right. Made you know, and and that's the reason that we refer to things ever since then as our December seventh moment. Right. You know. Um, now it's our nine eleven. Yeah. Now it's our nine eleven or their nine eleven. Yeah. You know, because because we only see it in the context yeah. of what we had. Yeah. So you have a show that's frankly kind of bland, and it releases just a couple of weeks. And also, everybody's wearing the same color. Like that's another thing we forget. Deep Space, Deep Space Nine, they were wearing the same color, but there were accents of different colors. Voyager, there were uh, different colors overlaying the same color. In in the Next Generation, oh my God, it was a color fest. Uh, well, but this th- one, they're all wearing the same. Yeah. Which I get it, it's a prequel, and, and there's all kinds of arguments for why jumpsuits are, are much more uh, practical. Utilitarian. Yeah, uh, and I agree, but it's bland. It just, it's, it doesn't, so, it the doesn't, show doesn't yeah. do well. Yeah, visually it's not. And then they, they did this thing where they opened themselves up to a letter writing campaign. 
they ask the consumer, what do you guys want? And this is a problem because the consumers are people who are hurting and scared as a culture. And so they don't want to follow a crew that's going into potentially hurty and scary places. Uh, they don't want to follow a crew that's exploring strange new worlds. They don't want that because that shit's now a scary thing. They want okay. to feel safe. So season three comes about and it's pretty clear what the writers are going for. They're aiming at processing 9-11. And I don't know if it was a conscious choice so much as this is what happened. But uh, at least the Americans who were watching the show. Season two ends with a race called the Zindi. Yeah. Uh, it's actually a coalition of six races. Uh, five of whom actually exist. The sixth one has been killed off. A uh, foreign coalition of races. Uh, and just, just listen to this description. See if it sounds familiar. They're a foreign coalition of races who have been scattered by forces more powerful than they are. They used to fight with each other with ever-shifting alliances, but have united to face this common enemy. Even then, they're not wholly united. Yeah. Okay. So they attack the Earth. They kill 7 million of us with a giant laser and run off before anybody can do anything. Yeah. So a lot of people are praising this shift. Because, you know, it's it's more interesting. It's new. It's it's new and at the same time it's familiar and it allows us to process stuff, you mm. know. It's like when you're, you're heartbroken and, and you listen to sad songs. Yeah. You know, it kind of leeches it out of you. Yeah. Now the original concept seemed to be that the Earth was nascent in its exploration. A bit daft. Yeah. Uh, blundering and, 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 you know, they're, they're the golden retriever whose tail knocks everything off the table. Yeah. Uh, and it was certainly not the powerhouse that the Earth had become by the time of the next generation and Deep yeah. Space Nine. We were the dumber cousin. The Vulcans were constantly going, oh, stop it. You can't. And we're like, well, you yeah. can't do that, you know. Yeah. And it was, it, that was what they were aiming at. But now, in order to answer the letters, they shifted. And the writers were living through the aftermath of 9-11. Um, and again, I mean, 9-11, it took a long time to remove all that rubble. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's going on while these writers are, are coming up with ideas. Uh, what are we going through? Uh, we tend to write and express whatever we're going through. And so the Zindis, 9-11, the Earth. Yeah. Now, season three picks up looking for these killers, wanting to bring them to justice. Again, this should kind of sound like, I don't know, March of 2004. Um, that ends up being the through line for most of the other plots to come from here on out. Uh, how do we confront our 9-11 through science fiction? Here's the problem with science fiction. Science fiction is always about where you are now. Mm -hmm. But it's take this thing and draw it out and let's explore aspects of our humanity. Mm -hmm. This science fiction seemed to be, here's where we are now. Let's wallow in here we are. And right. that was it. Yeah. yeah. And it was, uh, so how do we culturally rewrite that so that we feel safer? Uh, how do we win? Yeah. How do we write this so that we win? Yeah. What's our Rambo 3 for this? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Which, ironically, Rambo 3, he's helping the Mujahideen in Afghanistan, and they thank them yeah, in the credits. Yeah, in the credits. Yeah. yeah. So... Or it's 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 our Rambo two where he goes back and wins Vietnam for us. Yeah. Um, so the entirety of season three is about preventing the next attack. Again, yeah. I don't know if you remember, but shortly after nine eleven, now I was in teacher school at this point, right? So getting my okay. credential on, and it was gross. We were in a social science methods class, and uh, the nine eleven had happened. Uh, three or four of our our cohort mates 
got activated. They were on National Guard. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. Uh, so that was rough. Uh, and then on top of that, a plane crashed or lost engine over Queens and crashed in Queens, also in New York. Oh, yeah. And later on, you get shoe bomb guy and underwear bomb guy and stuff yeah, like that. Hard. But yeah. I remember like having a lesson on how do we... Because, I mean, we're learning to be teachers yeah. at 9-11, yeah. right? Um, how do we... I mean, it was, it was January is when I started my credential program yeah. of 2002. But how do we contextualize this for the kids? I remember one group got up. Um, a dude... It's just so gross. A dude tied his sweatshirt around his head to make it look kind of turban-esque. Uh, they drew an uh, airplane on the board, and he goes up and he races the engine and laughs and sits down. And that was their lesson. I'm like, why? What the fuck? Yeah, I didn't go to graduation with these people. Um, <laughs> it was it was gross and stupid. It was just... And, well, but that's where people were at mentally yeah. and emotionally. Yeah, like, well, it, just, yeah. It, it was... It was you know, we talked about um, in one of our tangents uh, mm-hmm. in our in our prior episode. We talked about you know the, the characterization of, of you know Japanese during World, World right. War Two. You know, same kind of thing is what happened. Oh, on, unfortunately, on a on a on a wider scale. Mm-hmm. You know, after after nine eleven here, and um, you know, I mean that was that was that was unfortunately the zitgeist. That was the it dark. Was. The, the, the underbelly of our anger and our and our frustration. We um, had a chance to be better. Yeah. And, and we didn't. We, we kind of flubbed that one. Yeah, we did. Um, you know, the biggest thing I remember, uh, you know, talking about what, mm-hmm. what the atmosphere was like. I, I was living in Seattle uh, when the attack happened. Uh, another time I can tell the whole story of my memory of that day. But I, I was living in Seattle. And in October, um, I traveled down here to visit my best friend from college and my, my other buddies from college. And um, I nearly got myself shot by an Air National Guardsman uh, over an argument about whether I could take a bunch of toy soldiers on the airplane with me. Not even kidding, not exaggerating. The guy, the guy walked up as I was trying to engage in a lively debate with the uh, TSA agent who wanted me to check a case full of several hundred dollars worth of war game figures, uh, which I didn't want to do because right. several hundred dollars worth of war game figures. Right. And, and this guy was an activated Air National Guardsman up, mm-hmm. in, up in Seattle who walked up, uh, I feel, made a point of showing the stripes on his shoulder, mm. put his hand near Mm -hmm. at least in my memory it's on the handle of his weapon he holstered his hand yeah 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 yeah. and and said you know uh do you have a problem sir wow it's a good thing you were white yeah no it is it is it is and and it's a good thing that i wasn't two years younger or yeah you know i'd wound up going to jail at the very least yeah and Uh, having and losing all those toy mm. soldiers now, yeah. Season, so yeah. I mean, yeah, paranoia. I mean, yeah, it gripped. It gripped. Stupid, us. stupid Very. paranoia. Very. Yeah, which yeah. isn't the first time, and it sadly won't be the last. Time. Yeah. Now, the entirety of season three is about preventing another attack. This is happening during two thousand four, which coincidentally is a campaign year. And so it's about preventing another attack, and <clears throat> Enterprise is just kind of incidentally carrying water for the Bush campaign. 
here's where it kills the franchise. This kind of plot line can only last for so long. And most importantly, like I said, sci-fi should challenge modern culture, not reinforce it. Okay. So, and a lot like <laughs> TV, like a lot of TV in 2004, it was reinforcing a culture where a man who got us into a disastrous war that stained our national identity, uh, I would just point out Abu Ghraib, waterboarding, the Patriot Act, he was running for office claiming that he was going to find the real culprit. Haven't, hasn't done it yet. Uh, and and uh, mm. the support that we had for the war, and I'll get into that in another episode, but the support that we had for the war was starting to dwindle. Now, the market is also flooding with <clears> other <throat> stories like this that are better told, that are not from a sci-fi perspective, that yeah. are modern, and we need something closer to home. 24, The Shield, Lost, all the gritty shows. Um, everything is reflecting this culture of fear, uh, frustration, impotence. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I'm a big fan of Lost. Um, I will always cape for Lost. The idea that there's a monster in the woods uh, is some mm-hmm. scary shit, and it was riveting. <laughs> now, I was also watching this show. Unfortunately, the the summer before I or like the the leading up to my wedding and then mm-hmm. uh, my honeymoon, which was going to be in Tahiti. So every episode starts with somebody else's memory of the plane crashing. Which is a dumb thing oh, to watch. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Good but it was there. so riveting. Um, yeah, I can believe it. Now, nobody really wants that in their sci-fi. Mm-hmm. They they want that in other type stuff, but not in their science fiction. And Star Trek has always, always, even during the deepest, darkest episodes of Deep Space Nine, mm-hmm. it's always been about optimism. It's been about hope, courage, exploration. And none of that's available anymore. No, that's not. Those aren't cultural touchstones for us at that time, um, and this season doesn't have much of it in there. Now, so season three of Enterprise uh, starts up uh, almost exactly three years to the day after nine eleven. It starts on September tenth. They still couldn't find the Zindi who were responsible, <coughs> and the more they looked, the more convoluted it got. This yeah. should sound kind of familiar. Yeah. <coughs> um. There was a sense of menace uh, baked into the show by this point. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> Pardon. I would just like to point out that I brought him a water so that, you know, he wouldn't cough. Yeah, and I partially inhaled it. So that's <laughs> the reason I'm doing that right now. So, and we're keeping okay. that in. Yeah. Um, so, just like us after 9-11, there were other attempts to hurt us by extremists. This, this is true. You had the shoe bomber. You had the plane blowing up over Queens. Like I said, you had the two battles of Fallujah. Uh, it was a scary time. It was an election year. Um, by the way, the battles in Fallujah, we later find out Blackwater and all kinds of connections to our Secretary of Education. Ah, but uh, the, in Enterprise, they're trying to stop a second attack that they don't know when it could happen. Mm-hmm. And it's that's exactly what we were doing. We mm-hmm. were going crazy trying to... I remember there was an article <clears throat> I read about them hiring Hollywood writers to come up with possible attack scenarios that they should guard against. Yeah, well, because they wanted they wanted creative people who right. were going to think outside the box, you know. And and from the point of view of anybody who's trying to defend against that kind of stuff, one of one of the things you do need to worry about in 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 organizations, mm-hmm. of really of any kind, but especially you know hierarchical organizations like Department of Homeland Security, right? Uh, DOD, you know, any military kind of structure sure. is is groupthink. Yeah, and. You know, it's a very rare individual who, in that environment, is able to think laterally. That's true. 
That's very true. Um, you know, especially at, at higher ranks where you've been promoted based on your ability to work within the system. Yeah. You know, and of course, you know, I will cape for the U.S. military. Sure. Till doomsday because I'm a Navy brat and all that. But, um, you know, that is that is a known, I mean, even within that culture, that's a known institutional mm-hmm. weakness for anybody who's willing to, you know, self-reflect. And so when I, I remember hearing about that, I remember thinking, well, good. See, because because <laughs> they need people who right. are not susceptible to well you know we know you know b- people who right. are going to beg the question they need they need people who are going to look at it from completely outside mm-hmm. you know um, <clears throat> and so on the one hand that's a real strength and I know you're going to have a counterpoint yeah because I can see the look on your face <laughs> uh, my my uh, argument was exactly the uh, other way as soon as you're doing that what you're doing is you're paying people to come up with the more the more outlandish the more you'll get listened to and so you're paying people to do that and now you're focusing on that instead of on crazy pants rather than instead of looking at the data that you have and by the way it's not like 9-11 wasn't what was totally out of the box there were all kinds there, of there were all kinds, there were all the kinds of flags there were all kinds of flags all i, I am going i am going to say this mm-hmm. um <clears throat> the idea of of the specific nature of, of of what the attack was. Yeah, fly a plane into a building. I'm okay with well, even that. I'm okay with we didn't know the exact particulars of the day and stuff like that, but we knew the players that were involved. They were on lists. Well if we'd listened if, to if the there people had been, doing their jobs. If there had been coordinated effort, yes. Right. What what God, I'm like what I'm yeah well yes <laughs> because same mm-hmm. same same but what 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 everybody the paradigm of what a terror attack looked like yeah was a very different thing no before, you're absolutely before, right before that attack it was it the was, coal it was embassies yeah it was, it was overseas yeah well and and yeah. and and it was not uh, I mean the the manner in which a suicide bomber operated mm-hmm. was a specific thing. It yeah. was a specific paradigm. And the idea of just the sheer I mean, really, honestly, mm-hmm. before nine eleven, if somebody had said, Okay, here's what you're gonna do mm-hmm. You know, you don't need explosives. You don't need, right? You know, fertilizer. You don't need whatever all else. You just need, you need a jumbo jet, right? You know the 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 head tilting like wait what right of that you know um, yeah and and don't get me wrong I think if they'd installed the game Sims in the Pentagon you could have figured this out too but granted <laughs> but I, I I guess my point is that um, when when you're hiring outside people whose job it is to come up with crazy shit, mm-hmm. you should make sure first that you've covered all the same shit. All the, all the bases, yeah. Because they didn't. And they no, didn't right. in a major and horrible in way. A, yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. Yeah, yeah we're, we're in agreement on yeah. certainly on that point. Um, right? And yeah. it, so to me, it was a sign of, oh, man, they have no... I mean, you remember they went on TV saying, does anybody know how to speak Arabic? Like, oh, yeah. Bob Bear, uh, who uh, had retired shortly before that from the CIA... Yeah. He remembered walking into a bookstore in Hamburg, and he knew what was going on in there. And he's like, how come I'm not running into other CIA agents in here? How come I'm not, like, because this is a hotbed for radicalized young men, you know, and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's just the the amount of infrastructure we put into figuring this stuff out was uh, criminally low. And so, yeah, they go for the creatives. Have you you read or seen Charlie Wilson's War? I have not. 
You should. I will. Um, because you talk about uh, you know the, the amount of infrastructure mm-hmm. not put into you know investigating and being prepared for the attack. Mm-hmm. The the tragedy of that story is that we armed is them. is that well we 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 armed them mm-hmm. we helped them fight off the Soviets and right. then at that point Wilson Charlie Wilson not yeah. President Wilson for those of you who might get confused. Uh, was arguing for okay now we need to go in we need to we need to funnel all the aid we can into the country we need to build the schools we need right. to, we need to fix the roads we need to do all this stuff and Congress went yeah well no we stopped the commies that's all we need to do right. you know, whatever they're they're dirt farmers we don't you know camel jockeys we don't need them <laughs> and <clears throat> you took you know allies and turned them and into turned them and turned them into enemies yeah. by out through through neglect and yeah. it's and it's certainly true that. You know, there were elements within the Fedayeen that were never really going to like us. Right. But we could have blunted their influence in Absolutely. that society by saying, okay, look, we helped you fight off the Soviets. Now, hubba, 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 money, 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 who do you trust? Right. We're you going know, to rebuild what you, know, you we're, used to we're have. Gonna, we're going to rebuild, you know, we're going to help you mind, rebuild it, the it country. It is a rebuild what yeah. they used to have. Yeah, because, you know, Kabul prior, had prior to. Oh, yeah, before, before the Soviet invasion, uh, Afghanistan was. Doing you well. know, solidly a solidly a you know in in the rank of second world nations, right? You know? um, and then the Soviets rolled in, and you know you had uh, the foreign army coming in, blowing shit up, right. and you had the people who were resisting that foreign army were a lot of them were the regressive elements who had kind of wanted to tear things down when Kabul had been right. you know a relatively uh, modern place. And you know, and we and we just said, all right, well, you know, we we gave the Soviets a bloody nose. That's all we needed to do, right. and walked away. And yeah, shot no, you're absolutely and, right. and that was the point at which we shot ourselves in the foot. So in Enterprise, yeah. they're trying Sorry. to stop that second attack, right? <clears throat> yeah. uh, and they they don't know when it's going to happen. And in this search, the Enterprise itself gets badly attacked by the Zindi. Yeah. It's all bad. Like, there's no getting around this that for the writers, this is still what's going on. Like, it's just about being attacked. It's about being victimized. And in a sci-fi setting, that doesn't work. Uh, by this point... I'd say certainly certainly within the context of yeah. anything like Trek, that doesn't work. There are... Right. There are ways you can do that in a sci-fi setting, but that's that's not the you still milieu. Have, yeah, even 1984 has hope at the end. You have to read for it, but okay. it's there. Yeah, right. It's in the it's in the afterward where okay. it talks about the that this society did exist, which okay. implies that it no longer. Okay. But yeah, it's this. I don't think this is science science fiction by this point, though. I think it's futuristic uh, chasing and intrigue, really. Well, yeah. It's it's kind of like how people uh, <clears throat> say that Star Star Wars is sci fi. No, it's not. It's fantasy and space. It's, 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 it's space fantasy, opera. It's space. Well, yeah. Well. So I funny, think, funny thing about yeah. that term, Star Trek is space opera too, but it's a different kind. It's okay. it's uh, well, I would say Star Trek used to be sci-fi, and I think maybe it still is now. But sci-fi is again, we're going to use a futuristic setting, a scientific setting, and look at aspects of our humanity set forward and okay. just fast forward it. Now, season four pays off a lot of the Zindi timeline. By the way, it spends a lot of time foiling bad plots by extremists. This is two thousand four, two thousand five. Mm-hmm. Similar to SWAT Valley, yeah, uh, the surge in Iraq. By this point, nearly all the optimism is squeezed out of TV. Friends is gone. Yeah. By the way, Friends, which was set in New York and never said a thing about 9-11, uh, 
Uh, sci-fi is still answering for uh, to the dominant culture instead of challenging the dominant culture, mm-hmm. and we're still in an endless land war in Asia. We did not pay attention to the Sicilian. Uh, <laughs> so uh, here's here's my thought. Uh, or MacArthur. Yeah, here's my thought experiment. What if 9/11 haven't happened? Then exploration's fine. It would have been continued to be fine. There would be no need for any apocalyptic storylines. Be or if it was, it was a planet you visited, and then the next week you're off and exploring another one because that's not what we're facing uh, in in our real lives. You're not facing an apocalyptic tide if there's no 9/11. But since we were scared, that was too scary. Uh, we needed paradoxically something that tapped into our existence and our very concrete fear of being attacked repeatedly instead of our fear of the unknown. Okay. And the show pays the price. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, a lot of criticism uh, was that it uh, didn't stick to the Star Trek milieu enough. Yeah. Uh, that's fair. It didn't go mainstream enough. Okay, that's also fair. So it kind of tried to split the difference. Yeah. It didn't commit either way. Totally valid. But the problem with critiques like that is that they also exist at the same time as the art. They're contemporaneous. Yeah. And so they're they're a product. The criticisms are a product of their times just as much as the art, art is. And they're not aware of the impact of the zeitgeist and the current culture on the very framing of their questions. Well, yeah, because they're fish and they don't understand that they're wet. In water. Yeah. Yeah. So hence the shift to answer letter writing. Yeah. Uh, now, could Enterprise have worked in a pre-9-11 world? Yeah. But yeah. probably not by much, quite honestly. Again, the market was saturated. The idea of prequels was still fairly new. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is 2001, which means episode one from Star Wars has happened. It's between episodes one and two. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a fairly new concept was a prequel at that time. Now, think about yeah. how weird that is to us now. We're like, yeah. oh, it's prequel. What? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like, the very word prequel. Right. still... Yeah. Like, God, you're doing that? Yeah, that's, what, that's, that's weird. That's a weird kind of concept. Yeah. So the mm-hmm. idea of a prequel wasn't very widely accepted. Uh, it very well could have done what Voyager tried to do and maybe even done it better, though, I think. Yeah. I, I think it was a, a really good way to get closer to who we are and still examine ourselves through futuristic exploration yeah. stuff. Um, but there's no way to tell. I mean, it's it's that's the wonderful thing about uh, counterfactuals. Yeah. Um, one of the strengths that Voyager uh, had uh, was that it was a Star Trek that we all knew. But its weakness was that it was way too far away from anything that we did know. Mm-hmm. And we didn't, at that point, we had seen enough strange new worlds yeah. and new life and new civilizations. Um, in fact, if you look at the next generation, it started going into archaeology more than it did exploring with other people. Yeah, that's true. Um, it carried the baggage, Voyager did, uh, carried baggage for us, and it looked at things differently. But having a brand new to everything ever enterprise, exploring space for the first time, forging these relationships that, that we came to understand as a given in the next generation in Deep Space Nine, that might have made for some pretty compelling TV, like you said, with the yeah. Prime Directive stuff. Well, and and you know the, the relationship between mm-hmm. Terrans, humans, and, and the Vulcans. Yeah. I remember was a there there was there was an episode where you know the Vulcans that we know mm-hmm. are this fringe group right of of religious extremists you know right religious in quotes extremists you know these these yeah. ascetic logicians and you know the come, Jedi later yeah. yeah you come come to find out that no no that's 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 
that movement becomes mainstream, and that's that right. becomes what what our Vulcans right. again in quotes. Well, and we have the same become. thing that we saw in Deep Space Nine with yeah. The Klingons. Yeah, and where Worf's like, we don't want to talk about it. Yeah, and we, then don't, they, we don't want to. Yeah, and then they, they actually go pay and they, it off in Enterprise. Yeah, yeah, and 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 that stuff is amazing. Yeah, I mean, like like as as somebody mm-hmm. who you know found the universe compelling but was not a, a huge fan, those moments. Yeah, were what made me want to keep tuning in. That was like, right. okay, well, if you're going to do a prequel, this is what I want to see. Right. You know. And then it just and then went nine eleven. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so if you'd actually switched Enterprise and Voyager, so that Voyager was the last series that we end up seeing, mm-hmm. and Voyager is the one that comes out in the post nine eleven world, that may have helped Enterprise quite a bit. But to do that, you had you have to agree to prequels being a thing before prequels are a thing. So yeah. it's just not. Well, in our context. You know, and I, I think what's what's interesting, talking about this now, mm-hmm. is, you know, you look at the storylines from DS9 about the war with the Jem'Hadar. Yes. That could have been... Well, and the Jem'Hadar really... are just a proxy for the Dominion. Yeah. Remember? Well, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you know, that that war, the, mm-hmm. the war with the Dominion, the war with the, the Changelings... Mm-hmm. There is so much about that that would have been if that had happened eight years later, however many years right. we're talking about later. That that could have been a runaway success because oh, yeah. that that even the name sounds done, Arabic. Yeah, and it could have done all of those same kind of things mm-hmm. that the writers were trying to do in yep. Enterprise, and it would have been truer to what that series was, yeah. like as as a thing on its own. Yeah, and. Um, the moral, uh, the, the, the gray morality mm-hmm. of, of what we saw in DS9 for the first time mm-hmm. would have fit in better with the age of the anti-hero mm-hmm. because, you know, th- one of the things that was always kind of weird, you know, when I, when I kind of tuned in and out to, sure. to, uh, uh, Enterprise in, in the later seasons of it was that Archer mm-hmm. and his crew were still very much in the mold of the traditional. Yes. You know, at, at the end of the day, it's you know the 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 power trio on the bridge. Right. You know, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. Id. Yep. Uh, id ego super ego. Yep. And I'm I'm mixing up who the ego and the super ego are, but you know it's it's so did it's, the series. Yeah. Well. Yeah. But <laughs> but you know and and it's and it's you had they you had are, courage, heart, and mind. Okay. That's really. What you yeah. Had. Yeah. And and but not but Slytherin. Yeah. Never. <laughs> Never. Just all the other three. Just all the other three. And <laughs> and and so, but the the you know uh, Archer and his crew mm-hmm. were in that same mold of yes. at the end of the day, Kirk was right. Yep. Even when Kirk was wrong, Kirk was right. Yep. And there were a few times where Archer was not right. Yeah. Where he flubbed. He flubbed. Yeah. Which which shows, you know, some maturity in, in the development of, of, mm-hmm. of the of the 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 franchise. Also, but, though, but also he was still nineteen sixties versus two thousand. Yeah. Granted. Yeah. Uh, diff- still, different times, different standards of, of what we expect out of heroes. But he was still right. Yeah. You know, even when he flubbed, it was he's still the good man, you know, yep. capital G, capital M. Yep. You know, uh, and the competent man, and all that kind of stuff, yep. and and you know, even that guy makes mistakes, but he was still very much the white hat, and mm-hmm. you know, there were still very much the black hats. And the thing is, I think our zitgeist had also moved in this direction where we recognized we weren't really comfortable with it, but like you know, Jack Bauer, 
Yeah, twenty four is, is not really pushed. Is he's like, not a good guy. He's 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 the guy we're rooting for. Right. But there are a lot of times where we're looking at him going, one, you are damaged beyond belief. Yes. And two, you're terrifying. Like like you you are you are the monster that fights the monsters. Right. You know, um, I don't remember whether it was the beginning of season two or season three, where you know he calls a guy into the interrogation room. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, reads reads off the rap sheet of of this guy that he's got in the interrogation room, and it's I mean it's this cartoonishly awful list of horrible stuff this guy's done, uh-huh. and you're and you're looking at this going, oh my god, you're going to try to you know get this guy to help you go after these other bad guys, and he goes through the the list of crimes this guy has committed, and then stands up, shoots the guy point blank in the chest, and while his his you know assistant. Is standing there aghast, horrified. Bauer stands up over the you know steaming corpse of the guy he's just shot, and said, "You always were afraid to get your hands dirty. Get me a hacksaw." Wow. And what and you that's figure on out—that's primetime TV. And what you find out is the whole reason he listed that list of awful cartoonish, like, "Oh my God, this guy, like the devil looks at this guy, like man, even I have standards." Right. The whole reason they did that was to set it up so no, no, this is a bad guy, so it's okay. Right. When Bauer, you know, murders him, violates the constitution, violates violates the constitution, violates the law, violates basic humanity, just mm-hmm. shoots him in cold blood. Yep. In order to cut his head off, to take it with him to gain access wow. to the bigger bad guy, because he's going to show that as no man, this is a guy you wanted dead. I killed him. Right. You trust me now. Yeah. You're going to deal with me. And it's like. Man, holy crap! You remember when the British did something like that, but they actually got the widow's permission to use her husband's body to leave it in the water, and they yeah. went through all that trouble. They didn't kill him. They didn't actually. They died. didn't actually kill the guy. And they asked. Per- they didn't like, murder the guy. They asked for permission. It was Britain, the the was, evilest empire. Well, of all you know, they're, they're very they're very polite though. Yeah, well, quite. You so. have to give them. You know. Yeah. There's 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 a way you do these things. Yeah. <laughs> Oh. You don't you don't just shoot the man for right. God's sake. Right. You'll ruin tea. So I yeah. I still think I, I But but I, I mean that's that's yeah. the era that we're talking about yeah, all that's happening in. And I, I think that one of the things that wound up hurting Enterprise mm-hmm. was that they were still even though they were they were dealing with all this, mm-hmm. you know, zitgeist baggage. Um <laughs> that sounds like a luggage brand. They they were uh they were still trying to hold to the very Star Trek the tradition yeah. of of the no no black and white morality, yep. and and you can't it it's really you can tell those I was about to say you can't tell those stories with a black and white morality you can but it's really hard and it it's almost and like it, you'd have to be creative to do it <laughs> and yeah, yeah, and yeah. when you're answering letters by consumers you're you ain't not, being creative yeah. You you're are, not, you're not you're utilizing your creativity. Yeah, you're, you, you're a cafeteria. You're yeah. no longer a chef. Yeah. Now, I, I, I like what you said about DS9. I hadn't thought about that. I still like DS9 where it was, though. It, like I do, I do too. So I, I, I would rather have had Voyager be the post-9-11 one because then Voyager is hopeful and it's yeah. about coming home. Yeah. And that I, would have know, been nice to see on TV. It, I, don't, I, don't, I don't. I don't. I don't think. think I, I think whatever whatever franchise they were yeah. they were creating at the time would have been affected by this because oh, everything absolutely. everything else was. Absolutely. I don't. I don't think you could have had. You might not have yeah. those stories. I mean, it, it, it's wonderful to think about what what geekdom would look like, what our culture would look like sure. if if somebody had had. Yeah. 
the ability to tell those kind of stories and make them compelling and get people's eyeballs on the screen for them right. during that time period. I, I think if we could have had voices in the media telling us, no, look, this is not the time for us to cower. This is not the time for us to be afraid. This right. is the time for us to go out and say, no, look, we are pluralistic. We are right. tolerant. We are brave. We are going to go out. We are going to do mm-hmm. this instead of, and, and you know, I mean, I'm, I'm as gu- I was as guilty of this as anybody else is. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we all did curl up, you know, we in a afraid. ball and we yeah. were afraid. And, you know, that was what happened to our culture. We blew our chance. Yeah. And, and you know, that's that's history. I want to I want to piggyback what you said right there. Because okay. we have a new you had you had Enterprise. OK. Uh, now you have this new Star Trek series called Discovery. Mm. It's the first one that comes out since Enterprise. OK. It's 2017. Last year. Mm. Yeah. Now this is another prequel. Yep. Uh, now we are flush with prequels. Nostalgia is a lot easier to market now. Yeah. Uh, it feels better when the world is crumbling around you. To mm, be perfectly yes. honest. Yes. Uh, it follows a new model too, though. Uh, streaming has changed all kinds of TV things. Oh yeah. So now it's a shorter season. Yeah. It was 15 episodes instead of the usual 23, 25 that we saw in the past. Uh, and they've been picked up for a second season of 13 episodes. Now, yeah. I haven't watched any of it, so we'll see. But at least someone is paying attention consciously to what's going on in the world that we're watching this TV show in. And this might be the first time that's been true since the original series. Okay. Because he absolutely was taking on racism. Oh, yeah. He was making morality plays of the time that he was in. And yeah. from what I hear, that's what's going on here. So here's the executive producer. I'm going to end with this. The executive producer of Discovery, Alex Kurtzman. He says... The defining factor of Roddenberry's vision is the optimistic view of the future. Once you lose that, you lose the essence of what Star Trek is. That being said, Star Trek has always been a mirror to the time it reflected. And the topical question now is, how do you preserve and protect what Starfleet is in the weight of a challenge like war and the things that have to be done in war? Okay. So we stand a chance of actually having a better series Let's hope. I haven't seen it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But, so, yeah, uh, I think I, I think uh, Enterprise could have been a fantastic series. I think I ultimately... I think there were, there were things in, in, in Enterprise that were fantastic. Mm-hmm. The, the, if you just look at the performances, mm-hmm. the the acting... Oh, it just... It, the, yeah, I mean, got better. The, the design mm-hmm. was, uh, was, was new, was, mm-hmm. was something different. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, like you said... You know the color palette was was kind of more restricted, yeah. uh, but there was a, a, a reason for it. Yeah. Um, you know, and and yeah. you had flawed characters really yeah. for the first time yeah, it, it that had, weren't bad guys. Yeah, that weren't yeah flawed characters that weren't bad guys really really for the first time, and it within the consciously the, flawed consciously flawed. Kirk was psychotic the whole way through, but <laughs> but consciously <laughs> flawed <laughs> characters written <laughs> deliberately <laughs> with flaws. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I you absolutely don't understand <laughs> what you mean by that. So yeah, I think nine uh, eleven ruined uh, ruined what could have been a uh, maybe not the best show for Star Trek, but certainly could have but been a good one. A good one. Yeah. So now that we've uh, dissected the uh, the events that led to you know uh, Enterprise not really living up to its potential. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what do you think uh, after you know looking all this up and thinking about it? What do you, what is your takeaway from all of it? Um, a couple things. One, nine eleven ruins everything. 
Okay. Uh, two, uh, and that's that just seems to be the case. Uh, two, uh, I think um, we need to be aware of what science fiction is. Okay. Um, before we go slinging that term around too loosely. Um, I think okay. uh, science fiction is a, a specific genre, just like uh, romantic comedies are a specific genre. Okay. Uh, I wouldn't call Twin Peaks a romantic comedy, even though there were some fun I mean, parts come on. and there was I, some romance. I, I don't know. I might, I might <laughs> try to argue with you on that. But I'd lose, but I might try to argue with you on that. But yeah, I don't, I don't okay. know that Enterprise was science fiction by the time it ended, uh, whereas it was when it started. So, okay. No. What about you? What you, would you find? Um, in going over all of this, you know, um, because we were living through it, mm-hmm. uh, it had never really occurred to me at the time just the extent to which, like you said, survival became mm-hmm. such a massive through line yeah. in the popular media that was being created at that during that time period. Uh, you know, we were so busy. I was so busy just watching, you know, the day-to-day headlines about the war in Iraq and the war in Afghanistan, sure. you know, the, the war in Iraq coming on, you know, later. But, you know, just, just looking at those headlines and, and kind of following along with all of it and the way that the tone got darker and the color palettes got desaturated and our heroes mostly stopped being heroes and started turning into anti-heroes was something that, you know, I'm, I think for most of us happened on a subconscious kind of level. It wasn't something we were aware of at the time. But yeah. now... You know, actually going back and looking at it, it's really striking. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think I think the first time I actually really noticed it mm-hmm. was the second season of BSG, mm-hmm. which I'm going to talk about yeah. in another episode um, because it was an anvil being dropped. Yeah, <laughs> you know, in, in that in that case, it was oh hey, by the way, here's your Acme anvil, right. you know, uh, and. And and even in that case, it was something I looked at as like, oh wow, these guys are really like, no, they're they're not afraid to drop this hammer. That's really something. Funny hammer and animal. You know, yeah. Where where? Well, and at the time, it feels edgy. Yeah. Because it's pulling on a an anxiety that you that's that's kind of uh, part of the operating system. Yeah. So it's kind of calling out what you didn't even have a name for. So yeah. it seems edgy. So you know, looking forward, uh, yeah. let's let's kind of look at what's edgy in our current cultural context and see if that's pulling on an anxiety um we're going to be doing that when i talk about horror films oh yeah uh, and when we movies. when we yeah, and when we talk about uh zombies right the the zombie thing is going to be wow. a big deal uh but uh i didn't mean to steal your thunder was there more no the... they really i mean that's that's basically it yeah. um i mean i could i could ramble on about it so all that's left now i guess is to tell people um what we think they should be reading or watching okay uh, and also what's coming next all right. Um, as far as reading, uh, I'm still working because, you know, it's only the next day from the last episode we, we filmed. I'm still working, or not recorded. I'm still working on uh, getting my way through um, At Home by Bill Bryson. I highly recommend it. Uh, and uh, I also am working on uh, the Four Gang translation of uh, Meyer's uh, Manual of Combat, written in 1570. Mm. Uh, because I've been away from fencing practice for a very long time, and before I show up, I want to have done my homework. Um, and it's really dry if you're not actually, you know, a fencer. Uh, but from a historical perspective, it's a really interesting window into 
if you're able to kind of read into the subtext of, of it, uh, looking into the way the middle class was developing and the beginning of sportification of combat forms and that kind of stuff. Okay. Uh, so, you know, if you have the time or are interested in picking up a sword and learning how to use one, I highly recommend it. What do you got going on? Uh, as far as books go, uh, I want to recommend uh, a book by an old friend of mine, actually, uh, called The Moral Disarmament of France, Education, Pacifism, and Patriotism, 19 19- 1914 to 1940 studies in the social and cultural history of modern warfare okay. by Mona Siegel and it's okay. uh, essentially about how history teachers uh, tried to never again before never againing was cool oh wow uh, yeah and they, they basically said look if we look at our history the right way then maybe kids won't want to go and fight uh, so it's it a pretty cool book interesting uh, yeah uh, other than that uh, I strongly recommend if anybody wants to watch a TV show that <clears throat> discusses what it is to be human there's one called Being Human, uh, oh, which yeah. uh, the American version, I think, is superior to the British version. Um, it's about uh, a, drag, uh, uh, a uh, vampire, a werewolf, and a ghost all living together, trying to hold on to the shreds of humanity that they still have. And it's, it's okay. four seasons. It's really good. It's, okay. it's really good stuff. All right. Well, we have been uh, Geek History and Time. And for Ed Blaylock, I'm Damian Harmony, and we'll catch you next time.